0: Welcome to this live panel debate on tackling rising costs in hospitality. I'm Cara Houchin, editor of the Staff Canteen. And uh, we've partnered with Rationale to discuss this topic in more detail with our panelists, and hopefully give you all tips, um, advice, inspiration for your own businesses and teams. Uh, Before we get started, please do ask our panelists any questions uh, using the comments. And if you enjoy this panel and want to know more, Um, You can sign up for a free 10-minute webinar with Rationale today. Uh, The link is in the comments below. So let me introduce uh, the panel today, um, and then we will get started. So to start us off, we have uh, Rihan Uddin, Managing Director, Chef Patron of Asian Restaurant Owners Network. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to to this uh, conversation today. It's certainly hitting a lot of the big topics out there.
0: Yeah, definitely right. And and next up, we've got um, Ollie Williamson, head chef at Three Michelin Stars, The Fat Duck.
2: Hi guys. Yeah, Hi, also yeah, Pretty happy to uh, be part of it and uh, see if we can uh, hammer out some interesting things in a topic. You know, very uh, common amongst every business at the minute.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, next up, Chris Hall, founder of the Burnt Chef Project.
3: Hello. Good afternoon. Are Hi, Chris. You okay.
0: Um, Elliot Hill, executive chef of the Chester Grosvenor. It come on? There you are. I Hello, you are you okay? I good, good, good. And finally, Tom Bainbridge, chef and owner of the Tilbury and the White Hart. Hi, Tom.
4: Hi there. How are you doing?
0: Good, thank you for joining us. Um, so firstly, can you all give us a, a quick overview of uh, of your businesses uh, that you work in or for um, and, and how you are managing costs before we get into some main questions? So uh, who would like to start? Uh, Ollie, I'm looking at you first, so you can go first and then I'll work my way around.
2: Great. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, this year has been, it's been a huge, huge effort to engage and, and retain staff. Um, demanding higher salaries and less, less hours after the kind of COVID um, malarkey, let's say. Um, yeah. VAT bills, uh, energy increases um, have all left uh, the, the, the old P and L meetings much more arduous than ever. I think they get longer each month in time we meet. Um, that's for sure. Um, but I mean, yeah, we, we, we're trying wherever we can to, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing because you need to pay people more. Um, but then they want to work less, so you need more people, so it's a bit with with the salary thing it's a bit of a kind of vicious circle, but then how do you deal with anywhere else that you could possibly um cut costs i mean we're we're questioning suppliers with um where we can kind of collaborate a bit more and whether we they can they can we can get you know communal deliveries, which I know is very difficult, but I mean we're starting to have those questions with with people and um try wherever we can um yeah obviously. I've known a bit as Mr. Sustain- sustainable at the minute. So our, our kind of efforts in plastic reduction is, uh, has actually helped us cut a lot of costs when it comes to gloves and uh, kind of piping bags that we're about a third down on the cost of like the high quality plastic. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's better for the environment and it's cheaper in, in, in many senses. So yeah, that's kind of like a brief overview, I suppose.
0: Okay, okay. I mean, we'll obviously dig deeper into all of that sure. as, we, as we go on. Um, yeah. So, um uh, Rihan, what about yourself? Um, listening to obviously what Ollie said, what, what about yourself and, and what would you kind of add to that?
1: Oh, I mean, look, Oli's absolutely spot on with what he's um, sort of uh, itemised as, as the things that we're up against. Um, from the Asian restaurant owners network, um, I, I'm overlooking 3,000 restaurants, small, medium, large. We're seeing all kinds of problems um, that differ uh, from um, size of business. But we're also seeing things that are the same. And it's those similarities uh, that we're having to sort of uh, mediate. Uh, Myself, as a restaurant owner, um, rebranded in March, um, looking at the costs of cooking Asian food in the first place that were already spiralling before um, uh, the energy certainly took uh, a massive hit. Um, It's a difficult process that is going to take us out of our comfort zones. But it's also going to really rely on us to use um new things that we've not really seen as options before and when we're looking at teams later today and we're looking at management and we're looking at um the elements of of supply chain there are huge amount of issues that have to be looked at from a reverse engineered process so we're starting from the end and building from the front but i'm sure that's something we will definitely dive into in the conversation as we go on
0: yeah definitely um chris what about yourself what can you add? So Since obviously you're coming at this from a, a, a different perspective.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so the Burn Chef project is a, well, it's a global not-for-profit organisation tackling mental health stigma within hospitality. But over the last two years, we've become laser-focused and uh, fully committed to working with businesses and business owners and management teams to create sustainable businesses by focusing on people-focused measures first. So we come at this very much from a data-driven approach in terms of what we can do to improve retention rates, to improve our recruitment opportunities, to reduce turnover of staff that actually then significantly increase that uh, the positives on the P&L forecasting and P&L balance sheets. So that's sort of the background. But I mean, my background is working in supply chain as well. So you know, having worked for food wholesalers supplying fine dining ingredients for over 10 years, um, it could be quite an interesting conversation to uh, to hear from that side as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Elliot, what about yourself?
5: Well, w- w- much the same as the other Louvre chaps. It's um the Chester Grove, for example, it's a big old hotel. Um, it was built in 1865. So we've got all sorts of issues with energy now. Um, so we, one of our focuses as a whole hotel, rather than just the kitchen, was... To reduce the uh, energy usage from 5,000 to 4,000 kilowatt hours, Um essentially the aim is eventually 25%. And we've and managed to hit 17% at the moment in reduction in the last uh, sort of four weeks of energy usage. But you know, going back to it's at every angle in the industry at the moment, whether it's energy use, whether it's cost of supplies, whether it's cost of staffing, whether it's you know looking after your staff better, which it, it's something that it's uh, the industry needed to do years ago and hasn't done anywhere near enough yet you know it's at every angle now and you know I, I fear for the next six months of sort of the smaller independent restaurants you know I'm seeing every time I go on Twitter you see somewhere closing or somewhere struggling and you just sort of yeah sort of want to bat them down the for the next six months and see what we can all do.
0: Yeah um, and and Tom again a slightly different part of the sector so what um, what would you like to add to that and kind of what what you do well,
4: we are that smaller independent restaurant. So I own a couple of country pubs, sort of, uh, sort of higher-end country pubs with my brother. And um, just looking at and tackling all of the issues that have already been raised, really. I mean, staffing, we've always been very fortunate. Our retention's been very good. Um, but knock-ons from, yeah, change of lifestyle from COVID, I think that's that's affected everyone so much. The amount that people want to work, the amount people want to see their families um, that has been a, a huge challenge that's still going on now and, and sort of getting more challenging for us. Uh, energy being in 15th century pubs uh, is obviously a, a huge one, not just on how we use and how we cook in the kitchens. But uh, you know, I recently looked at the insulation in our cellar in our first pub and um, realised we're, we're obviously that the insulation between floorboards is terrible. So, we're actually down below pumping in energy and using these uh, energy to cool the cellar, which is then just floating up through the floorboards to uh, cool down the heating of the, the room upstairs. so it's just fighting each other, burning more energy. And I think we look at everything differently now. it's you know, from the business from it's from top to bottom, from food costs, to, to, to the way we do everything in the in the kitchen to uh, to menu styles, dish styles. Um yeah, how how we deliver now, the, the hours we operate is it's all changing and yeah, I think we all learned to evolve and adapt as we needed to with, with COVID. And to be honest, that's kind of our mindset's never really changed off of that period. And we were just looking ahead. We sort of saw these times coming and we've been thinking about it for a long time and trying to adapt where we can.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you've all said, there are many, many aspects to this topic. It's quite quite vast um i'm gonna uh, start with uh with you uh rehan because um obviously this uh is in partnership with rationale um, and you are one of their expert chefs so i would just like to ask you what are they doing to be innovative innovative around the energy crisis
1: so yeah i mean for, for myself obviously working with rationale uh, alongside them um had to implement certain strategies for the business um and that being low labor so um from what we know from chefs um experience demands high salaries um, and it's going to cost you a lot of money to kit out a kitchen with a full team so i took the challenge to set up uh, our kitchen on a two-man team uh to be able to deliver the high uh, expectations of the customer but also deliver that consistency as well so how are we going to do this so we looked at um uh, the equipment uh, that we had with the iVario Pro and the iCombi Pro and, and creating a menu that was going to be suitable for the situation that we find ourselves in currently. So uh, re- like I said earlier, reverse engineering the process, looking at what times uh, would be available to us and not sort of having processes that involved double cooking methods. Um, in terms of the prep being quick, efficient, Uh, and straight to the point, not having those long manual labour hours because just because there's two of us. We don't need to have the the excess work piled on top of us. We actually need to make sure it's easier for Mm us to be able to complete a prep and then also complete the service. Um, If we're able to do that in record times, um, we use less energy because our prep is positioned and built in a way that we're using every shelf at the same time because we're able to manoeuvre the uh, sort of temperatures that we need um, to build the maximum prep that we can deliver for maximum occupancy, that we can deliver um, with maximum efficiency. So we're not having the units on um, all day through the, the prep. There is a, a certain time period that we need them on for prep. And there's a certain time period we need them on for service. Um, so it's being able to utilize that. The support um, that we get from the from the corporate chefs uh, from there, where we're actually working with each other. So the Asian experience of cooking matched with the European experience of cooking and actually merging the two to be able to eliminate a, a, a energy-inefficient tandoori oven that's just going to be blasting out gas all day, all night, because it needs to stay at a certain temperature uh, consistently. So it's actually using the methodologies of technology to automate, but also be able to position ourselves to know that prep is fixed. This is a fixed time for, for what we're going to be able to deliver and our service time with our hours being shortened is obviously a lot shorter. But the energy efficiency of the products, the actual being able to have themselves clean uh, is phenomenal. And then the drop and drag technology that allows anyone um, to come in and learn about how they can implement these into their restaurants uh, and take this existing software. Um, which we've pre-programmed for Asian restaurants, Um, it certainly makes life a lot easier. It certainly makes that recruitment process uh, somewhat easier and the training process relatively uh, easy as well in terms of being able to drop and drag uh, and produce um, particular items. So I think when we're looking at um, technology playing the part, um, the iCombi Pro and the iVario Pro certainly have uh, allowed us to save time. And if we've got long cooks that we need to do overnight – we can do that on the overnight cook setting as well, which then it will drop into its uh, holding mode, which is on a low energy mode as well. So certainly some benefits there, yeah.
0: Yeah. And other panellists who are listening, what what are your thoughts on, on what Rian's just just said there?
5: I mean, at the Grove, we've got seven rationales. One of them is down at the moment. We're waiting for parts. But I found myself turning them off so many times. You know, people, you know, used to back in the day, Leaving them mm-hmm. on 80, 170 all day, and I just walk around turning them all off. If you don't need yeah. that's it. Simple as, and you know, obviously we're trying to save money on electricity. And like I said, would be prep time, and it's you know, come the days where you're walking down the kitchen
1: to see all of them turned on, all full going. If you can yeah. multitask in one, do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, though, isn't it? It's that um, when we're looking at um, these elements, there has to be a methodology behind it because i think um uh i think it might have been Elliot who said it earlier was talking about um actually having that uh within the business of having multiple staff and multiple things going on at the same time you're going to have to have that um element where you actually compartmentalize the time that you that you have i think before i mean if we look maybe even pre covid times everything's on everything's running you're not really accounting for those that energy i think now we know exactly how much we pay for a kilowatt i don't think four or five years ago we'd, we we be an eyelid to it and i think that's the difference where the approach has changed completely for the better absolutely yeah. mm.
0: okay um anyone else anything to add on that before we 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 move on no okay um i also want to talk about um menu um engineering so items on the how you know items on the menu um could help with saving costs so seasonal uh, local um i've spoken to several chefs about how they're moved to tasting menus as well to to help uh with with costing um so ollie i'm going to come to you um what are your what are your thoughts on that on, on you know on how that helps to reduce costs where your menu is concerned
2: um well I mean, it's it's a bit of a trickier um kind of story for us because we, you know, we, we used to do this thing called the journey menu, which was 17, 18 courses. And then now actually we, we prefer to do the kind of eight, nine courses just for the length of the experience. It's too long. Um, so it does kind of go hand in hand for, you know, working hours. It, it means that, I mean, we need 10 chefs to do one service minimum. We we can't really uh, deliver our, you know, the the style of food, the gastronomy we do here um, with less, um, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yeah, so so actually they come hand in hand. The fact that uh, you know people don't want to sit there for four or five hours anymore, so now it's a two and a half, three hour experience. That, that has reduced the menu, which has you know in in turn reduced staffing costs. Um, but, but that's just that's more of a kind of luck thing than actually something that we we you know engineered ourselves. um yeah, we definitely, I mean, we definitely look at, uh, those things that we, uh, when we came back from Australia, the whole kitchen got, um, kitted out with induction. So we don't, you know, use gas, we use a, pr- a huge pressure cooker and we cook all our stocks in there and that, you know, reduces energy again, because you can make a stock in two hours instead of for however long and they get made and pre-batched and frozen. Um, so I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot of it's, um, looked at, but this one, probably this topic is less, uh we we can't really adjust our what we are delivering so much i mean we're still you know it's still a concept restaurant with you know emotions and you know there's a story behind most of the the, the journey of of the um of the menu so um you know it's much more difficult for us to say okay we're going to do a la carte or we're going to do we're going to take three courses out or whatever um uh, yeah something something we do think about, but uh the the experience and what we're trying to deliver in terms of you, you know the journey of the menu is more important than than that, even though it's in the back of our mind on this one
0: yeah okay, Tom, what about yourself um have you looked at the menu and the costings and where you can save there?
4: yeah yeah I mean, it's probably the uh, being a chef now is probably one of the biggest challenges that there is um I think it's wising up to what we use, how we use it um i mean the days of uh, we we never have but the days of buying a chicken breast that uh, must be long gone for everyone is this whole animal how can we use it um mm. how can we break that bird down and Use it in five different ways to to maximize profit out of one product um for us now is even steaks yeah but we buy in whole rumps break them all down into single muscles brine them so we we just change we used to buy all mid-cut sirloins um 10 ounce that now the price of that would just make you cringe. And what we would have to pass on to the guest is it would just be fried. And so we're very much um, work. We've been creative with what we've got. Uh, then how we use trim from any products, not just for you know the days of having staff food that had all that trim in and stuff It's actually now, how do you take that step further? And what, what, how can we get that into a bar snack or, yeah, we've taken a little single muscle off the whole a whole run for make an a la carte starter out of it. And um it, I guess we've always worked like that, but it's just evolved more and more naturally. Just seeing the cost of everything go up. Um locally wise, uh, yeah, where, where possible we use we use local. Um but I would say more from a foraging sense. That's obviously, this time of year, but it's been what just passed now, we've been very bounceful on, on berries, so we've just stocked up made Tons and tons of um, hedgerow sorbets to get in the freezer for for the rest of the winter, um, and got local orchards in the parks. So we can kind of make our apple sauce on Sundays from that. So it's it's really just sort of being very aware of what's around you, what's available, um, and the products you do get. It's you know, looking long and hard at them, and how can you maximise them and get the most out of them.
0: Yeah, Elliot. What about what about yourself? Because obviously you said that the Chester Grove is, is a beast. So yeah.
5: you know, carrying on what Ollie and Tom said. I mean, firstly, we're lucky because I'm lucky. So we got Ark, which obviously our fine dining concept. And um, you know, we'll look across both kitchens and lucky um, and use the whole animal. You know, if we're not using the legs in one restaurant, we can use it elsewhere, etc. And that and, and upstairs. But I think as a wider point, that I've had the conversation with certainly my directors and my bosses about um certainly how kitchens are, are used obviously people use gp an awful lot and for me it's sort of like i think that needs a, a better discussion because gp doesn't necessarily mean you profit and so if you look at for example in our brasserie restaurant which is obviously you known a two french style uh, um brasserie you know we that can do some big numbers and if you look at for example a steak you know, that takes a lot less man hours to prepare than it will do um, many of our a la carte dishes. So you look at that, you're never going to make your GP or your, your targeted margin on, on your steaks, et cetera, like, um, like Tom said. So we look at that and thinking, well, actually, the bottom line is if we, we say we're happy with that amount of profit to come compared to an a la carte dish, but there's actually less, less manual labor going into that, then, then we're happy to sell that at a certain cost. And Never mind your GP, we need to look at the bottom line and how that affects, um, rather than just concentrating on GP only. But like i said we're very fortunate in the case of naturally there's on, on you the know, whole beasts and hot on the expensive cuts and stuff we don't have any waste if we can use it upstairs in, a, in our event kitchen or if the event kitchen has leftovers we use it downstairs in labrasivi or you know if anything that's left over for whole beast in arca we use it elsewhere as well so we are very fortunate
0: yeah i mean all of you alongside that have all touched on on staff as well so i would like to bring chris into the into the conversation. I mean, Ollie, you said you need 10 chefs to do your service. That's that's what you need. Um, And obviously, retaining those is very important. um, Because you don't want to be paying out for recruiting more or if they're not there. So Chris, what give us some pointers on on that topic and um, ways of keeping your team happy and healthy.
3: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, Christ, you're looking for a magic pill, right? As with as we thought, this whole subject matter, there's, there's no one size fits all. It was interesting listening to, to Ollie and Tom and, you know, talk about things like using whole beasts and addressing wastage, you know, which in some restaurants is up to 35% and looking at wastage costs, but we don't really spend much time properly targeting our retention and our turnover rates. I mean, to give you an idea, you know, one business that we spoke to you recently have a turnover rate. They're targeted for 125%, which when you start to question it, similarly, like, like Elliot said about GP, when you're questioning, you're trying to lose 100% of your team plus an additional 25% every single year. That's your target. Like, we need to start questioning why these targets have been set and what we need to do about it. When it comes to retaining teams, there's... there's There's so many options and often enough, we have sort of fallen into this trap of, let's pay people as much money as possible because that will convince them to stay and that will give them what they want in order to be able to keep a sustainable lifestyle. And we saw this a couple of years ago, long before COVID with an exodus of people starting to take on agency work because there was a better per hour salary or or wage. But what then that exacerbates is people jumping ship. So they'll go, "Oh, I've just been paid 60, 60 grand for a head chef role at this other place, um, can you give me 65 or 70 and I'll come and work for you? And then that might last three months or six months. Mm-hmm. It's not sorting the recruitment crisis. It's just elongating it ever so slightly and it's now pushed operators to a point where actually they're paying more out in labor than they've ever have done. And yet people still aren't staying with organizations. So I feel like we're missing something. And then some certain surveys that we've done is showing that people, yes, they value more money, but it keeps coming out top every single time and that's work life balance yes. that's a sense of being valued a sense of purpose and i think we i think we've missed a trick with this i think that actually if we just listen to what our teams are saying then we're able to retain them for longer by giving them a fully inclusive workplace that that values them gives them a say gives them some degree of autonomy allows them to show that we value them as a human being and that in itself will help promote it. And to give you a a brief story, I worked for a food wholesaler for four four years, supplying some incredible restaurants down in the Southwest. My salary was low compared to what I was on in Bournemouth. And yet I stayed at that company for four years. And the reason being is because there was that sense of value. There was a sense of purpose. There was that, I knew what my role was. I knew what my job role was. I knew I had a say. And it wasn't about money, it was about something else. Now I appreciate, you know, for a long time this industry has been underpaid. For the amount of hours that you do, if you're doing a 60 to 80 hour week, then yes, you deserve to be paid paid your time and what you're worth. But we looked at this perhaps as like, let's throw money at this because this won't change, this metric won't change as opposed to, let's see what we can do to keep people on a similar sort of salary, but -hmm. reduce the amount of hours they do and to give that equilibrium.
0: Mm. What's everybody's thoughts on what Chris has just had to say? You all have teams. You are all, you know, in in I that mean, same situation.
5: I, I can't I can't agree more with what Chris has said. Um, throwing money at these at this, yeah, great. But you 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 need to cure the disease and not the symptoms. Throwing money at it is just trying to cure the symptoms, but the disease really is a work life balance and a, and a balance so a good scale of pay and definitely valuing your team as well. You know that's that's huge. But, but you know, as an industry. To be honest, not even just beyond, it's beyond the industry, it's the cultural people who go out to eat as well need to understand the true cost of going to eat somewhere, where it's actually professionals cooking, properly skilled chefs cooking as well, because the the, the cost of the skills of those chefs are going to go up and up, and not just going to these chains where you're opening packets and, yeah, God knows where they come from. So, you know, I, I can, yeah, wholeheartedly, you know, love to hear what Chris was saying.
3: It's, yeah. it's tricky though, right? Like you, there's, there's, it's very difficult to put a metric on culture. You know, yeah. you, don't, you don't know where that dipstick lies. And because in fact, in essence, I think if we're honest with ourselves from a, from a managerial, from a business perspective, we've been too afraid to ask. We've been afraid to go out to people and say, and this is, very, you know, this is blanket cover and this isn't the case. You know, there are many places, even large chains now who are doing great things in terms of finding out where their employees are. But I think we just need to be prepared to ask that question and be like, what do you want? Like, how do we do this and manage those expectations accordingly so that we can get to this area where we've got a mutual understanding from employee to employer? And it also works for our P&L long term as well. Yeah, I think, I think that, you want- that's,
2: that's okay. a game changer. Yeah, it has been for us as well, that that giving giving your staff the voice, the, the ability to for them to communicate with you. Um, we we do it like quarterly at the minute, but it's just whenever we kind of feel the need, where we just put a suggestions box in the staff foods in the in the canteen, um, and then anybody anonymously can just put in there what they what they like to see, and then we we can we can translate that into you know experiences or whatever. A lot of them were demo days, so I mean on the back of that we've had you know the sous chefs prepping down um, a suckling pig as a as a demonstration. We've had you know caviar tastings. Um, we've been to Paul Rhodes Bakery. We make our bread. Um, been on forager trips. So just getting getting the guys involved and listening to what they they want. I mean, a lot of it was staff food. So we we improved a lot of our staff food. A lot of a lot of the guys start in the morning don't have breakfast. So we we said okay, we're going to make a smoothie every morning, and it, it has to be healthy, it has to be um, nutritious, and 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 thought about, and that. So every day, every day at our dietary meetings in the morning, there's a there's a healthy smoothie to start your day. And that was off the back of that. You know, a lot of people wanted to get in shape. So the company subsidized a gym membership around the, down the corner. So just, just, but all of this came from our, like our suggestion boxes. And, and you're, you're right. Like the, the thing of like having a voice, not just being a number and, you know, being part of, but being part of something and seeing change and the managers responding to what you want. Um, not only just throwing money at them, of course that's a big part of it and and we do top-up pay so if you work over your contracted hours then you do get more pay but you know that that's another thing but i agree you don't you don't just we're not helping we're fueling the fire if we just keep saying up and up and up give more money more money it needs to be more than that and i totally agree with that
0: Rihan, you were about to say something as well
1: yeah i think there's um there's an element of, of uh, Generation X, Y, and Z. Um, you've got um, the old guard in there as well. It's quite a mixed um, dialect that's going on in terms of what's expected, in terms of um, the levels that they would commit uh, and what each section of that generational gap seems as acceptable. And it's quite different. So you have your business ethos, you have the the elements that are within there. When we look at the, the lower age um, sector, they're all thinking in in touchscreen they're all thinking in quick their uh ideas and and certainly their surroundings within their day-to-day life is very quick fast on to the next thing um whereas actually processes within um, businesses um can be slightly different to that and actually how far do we need to break it down to actually uh, um, find where that lies and uh, actually where does where do the experienced um old guard if, if you will for lack of a better phrase um actually um fit into that and is there compromise built into businesses that have to be made to have that inclusive uh those inclusive elements um to to be able to build a package that fits everyone's needs i'm not saying it's easy it's very very difficult at this point in time um like chris was saying earlier it's something that actually when we're looking at staff retention um and when Chris was saying "There's obviously 120%, 140% was leaving, uh, it's a massive thing. It's always been, uh, uh, relevant in hospitality. But I think now where people are looking to secure jobs, secure income, have things in a fixed manner so they know what they're getting because they've got huge cost implications at home. Uh, how does a business secure that where uh, maybe what we're seeing is up and down trajectory of, of, of sales or, or the frequency of sales? Um, in businesses across the board, Um, that sort of solid commitment from a business um, is something that I think people are very much reliant on. But also looking into the future is, um, if people know that the businesses have these mechanisms in place, um, it's certainly a a prospect that they would look to, uh, like you said, you are working um, uh, a long hours job uh, for, for probably less pay that we could get somewhere else. Um, certainly they're looking at the pay opportunities, but if the environment isn't right, actually the pay is actually secondary. Um, if the environment is is absolutely where they want to work and it's buzzing and people are moving around and you have a great time at work, it's not work then. It's actually more of um, a, a lifestyle. And I think that's where we need to look at uh, what we're demanding on, on the work side of things, but also the environment that we've created within that structure. Is it something that they're looking forward to come to day in, day out? Is it something they're dreading to come through day in, day out? And actually, how do we find that out? And I think the suggestion box that um, Ollie mentioned is definitely something uh, that would work well in, in that environment. But yeah, there isn't a, a total answer to this. Every single person is an individual. They're very different. And um, to create something that fits everyone completely is pretty impossible. But um, to create a, an environment where there are Uh, sort of dopamine hits through the shift that that give you that sort of uh, buzz as well I I, I certainly uh, think that would be a a great way to look at it to sort of implement those those elements uh, uh, in the business.
3: I think the the two elements
1: so the the first element of you know what are we doing about our
3: energy energy problem at this moment in time and how we're reducing our energy and then creating environments that are conducive to good well-being and people want to stay in the two are exactly the same compensation from a physical stress point of view. So, you know, we talk about induction hobs. You know, Induction hobs are a fair old whack to invest in, but they cut down your cleaning time. They cut down your energy consumption. They significantly cut down the heat that's involved in the kitchen. Thus, not only reducing your energy consumption, but also creating a, a, a happier environment. Same with fan systems. Now you can get really intelligent fan systems that accurately and check like they change the fan speed, they change the noise depending on what heat's going to them, you know, what time of day it is, whether it's in service, out of service. And again, that cuts down energy, but it also cuts down the impact on someone's stress responses. And just to put all of this into tangible, tangible figures that people will actually understand. We've just done a, a psychological study on a restaurant group in London. And out of 141 people that responded to this survey, 46, just over 46% of those were looking to to leave their role. A large percentage of those, a a significant percentage of those were experiencing what's called presenteeism. So they were in the workplace, they weren't fully engaged. They didn't really, you know, they weren't able to fire on all cylinders because physically and mentally they were quite unwell. But that was costing that organization. This is across 141 people. That was conservatively costing them seventy-eight thousand pounds per month, just in poor productivity, in mistakes, and customer service interactions. When you add the turnover intention into that as well, which was just under fifty percent of people, that was an additional million pound a year. Now I don't know about you guys, but you know, on a a seven-site organisation, losing close to two million pound a year just on on cost of people retaining and people being well. That could have a massive and profound impact on my profit margins at the end of the year, right
0: uh, Tom, look listening to all of this and coming at this as a you know a small independent, how easy is it for you to implement some of the things that have been said today if you don't i mean you may already, but things that maybe you don't how how difficult is it as a smaller smaller restaurant
4: uh Joe, you know I think you can. Yeah, support lines can be there, whatever size business you are. I mean, we're we're very hands-on personal owners. Uh, I actually, I'm relatively new to the industry. I came to it from more of a business and property background. And um, when I first came in, it it shocked me actually how a, a kitchen could operate and what people were like and how they treated each other. And I was very much from day one, I'm looking at this as a business and a workplace, these things don't happen. And culture in here needs to change straight away because it's just not right. And the stories I've heard from experienced chefs have always blown me away. And yeah, those changes that have happened and we've seen happen more over the last few years is well overdue like was touched on earlier. And I think is a big part of seeing longevity because it's another thing in chefs is longevity. I mean, I'm, I'm. We we employed a guy again through agency work because he turned to work an hourly. Um, turned fifty, in his mind, he was done. So I've done this for so long. I'm so beaten. I've worked so many hours. I'm done. You know, fifty years old. I mean, I'm forty next year, and it's. I feel it more now. But it's you know, it, for longevity, it's not yeah we we can't work the way we've always worked uh, i mean slightly different as an only we'll just you'll do it and get it done and we'll do it so others don't have to but um yeah i think that day to day freshness and better balance towards life and how hard work can be because you yeah, know whatever we change you're if you're in hours for, if you're in work for a 10-hour day it's still a tough day you know especially now that we're Looking to maximize and be smarter about how we do things. You know, it's very much in heads down, crack on, get it done. If you're here, you're working, you're working hard. You'll have a break, you get out for a couple of hours, you come back, you focus, you get back on with it. So it's still tiring. And I think really looking at these changes, it's it's attacking that longevity as well in how long people can and want to work for. Feeding beaten is not a good thing.
0: No, definitely not. Um we've talked about lots of obviously different areas of rising costs, but I just want to know uh, all of you, uh, have you had to pass any of these rising costs on to your customers? Um, if you haven't, is it something that you are going to have to do? Ollie? Uh,
2: I mean, yeah, it, it's, as you, you can see it across, across the industry, more and more people, I mean, long clue <laughs> recently, but their prices up. have got a lot of, lot of attention from it. Um, I spoke to Jeremy at Ikoi the other day and he, he's reopening and he's going to have to, you know, factor in a big um, cost increase. Um, but not from the new site, just to look after the guys and, and get the product that he wants um, and to deliver. And it's the same same thing for us. I mean, we've got a Christmas menu, which is kind of a bit of like a, a test in the water to see um, what a, what kind of um, uh, an increase for us would look like because it's already we are, we're aware it's a high price point, you know, um, cost of living's going up, and whether we outprice ourselves is something we talk about a lot um, at the minute. But you know, also there's a breaking point where if you're not making money as well as a business, then there's there's there needs to be a happy medium. But we you know we're we're tentative with that, but we're testing out with Christmas and and then into the new year we'll uh, we'll kind of you know understand it a bit better, um, but. You know, it's a bit of the unknown as well. It's like, you know, how much will pay, people pay for the experience? Because, you know, how much do, do people actually care that are coming to dine, whether the staff are enjoying themselves? I think they do. And you want to think that. But, you know, sometimes when you you, you say, OK, it's 350 quid to come here on a Friday night, people wince and you go, well, we're looking after our staff and that's the cost of that. And, and the product is exceptional and that's the cost of that. But mm-hmm um you know it's yeah it's a it's an interesting topic and and one we 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 discuss a lot at the minute um because yeah it's uh we don't want to out- outprice ourselves but um we're aware that it's there's a there's a bit of yeah balance to be
3: adhered to just just on that front there's a company that we work with um the Ethicurion in bristol a fantastic fantastic business long um long time ago probably a year and a half ago now they Actually, increase their prices quite significantly. So what they did is they went to their accountants and said to the accountants, "What do we need to charge for our menu in order to be able to give our teams living living wage to, yeah. you know, to give them um, trunks part of their standard salary so they're able to get mortgages, etc." The accountants came back with a figure, and they went, "If that's what we need to do to to run the business, then 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 let's go for it and let's yeah. see it and let's see what happens." And. There's a, there's a psychological element here, which is we're always afraid to put our prices up because we think as soon as we put our prices up, customers are going are to boycott us and then they're going to leave, which, yeah, you are going to get some people do that. But in the Ethicurian's case, what they've actually seen is that people still continue to come and they still continue to spend, spend that money. And, you know, it's a set cost, it's a set, you know, set menu as a tasting menu now, but the impact they haven't been, they haven't seen was as profound as they thought. Um, it's been it's been you know it's comfortable for them now um, there, there's an equilibrium there's a balance but if you are paying for good service and a good experience, then customers who are going to spend that money hopefully won't quibble over over a five ten fifteen twenty percent increase
0: Elliot what about you
5: well
0: something you have I'll to speak do,
5: Yes and no. We've decreased in certain areas and we've increased in others. So, you know, obviously we've got two restaurants and then we've got afternoon tea on top of that. The afternoon tea increased. Um is a new restaurant that's been open seven months now. We've decreased the price slightly, but it's sort of we want that to sort of look after itself in terms of we're not it's not necessarily there to make money in Arco. You know, we know it's not going to make money. I'm probably going to get told upon my boss for saying that, but we don't make money in that restaurant. It's a service we want that restaurant to be a sort of a special restaurant in the Chester Grove as it should be, and you know then we've got the brasserie as well, which is absolutely you know it turns over a lot of casual dining. We've seen an increase in that, which is interesting, because um, we have two we have the two rows outside and we have the casual dining side. So it, it, it's it's one of them where um, I was speaking to ai am going to keep the nameless a, a hotel inspector not so long ago, and he was saying in about the very high end. The high-end market, keep it high-end, keep it the prices up. That will look after itself. The but people who want to go out and, and experience at you know, like at, at Ollie's level, at Free Mission star level, and at the very highest level, will continue going out. It's the mid-market that's that's going to suffer more than anyone else. You know, the low-end market, people are still going to be calling out for. The high-end market, people are still going to go out for special occasions. But it's the middle market that's going to really suffer. They think over the next sort of six months.
0: Okay. Any any thoughts on what Elliot's just just said?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at the um the lower middle and upper market, um, specifically from a uh, restaurant's point of view. It's definitely changing. Um, even the lower sector is changing in the fact that people aren't eating out as frequently. So um, the supermarkets are certainly picking up a lot of the um, maybe takeout sales uh, and dining at home. Uh, in terms of that respect. So that market is definitely shrinking as well. The middle, lower middle, upper middle, that's all changed. So everybody's had to re-bracket themselves over the last um, sort of uh, few months in terms of of what their outgoings are, uh, how much their mortgage has gone up by, and then attribute that to what they will pay out on their um, um, sort of special occasions and and things where they'll be dining out um, and that budget. Uh, And because that's changed, the sort of frequency that we're looking at as restaurants in terms of what will come through is via the bookings. So you'll know what's coming your way. But in terms of cancellations, things happening where the group party is actually not nine anymore. It's been reduced because maybe uh, so and so uh, are -are looking at it and thinking maybe not this week. Um, These are the parameters that we're having to work in. um, And certainly when we're talking about menu price, it's especially in that middle market range where you're looking uh, in some instances just to break even. Um, but you're looking at what can people actively afford? How long can they afford uh, this for? And how many times a month are they going to be able to visit you? Uh, if you look at the data, like Chris was saying earlier and how important that is, um, I'm certainly seeing changes in behaviours, ordering, how people order, what they order. Um, And and certainly when we're looking at um, curries, we're looking at everything that's being imported from spices to rice uh, and those increases that uh, we see on a day-to-day basis. Um, It's very difficult to make a curry profitable under 15 quid. And when we look at the supermarkets and how they're proceeding in their elements, along with big brand names that are attaching themselves together to collaborate, um, the the margins that they're making in, in the sales of that is next to nothing, but they're selling it in the millions. Um so a small independent restaurant to be able to compete in that area now very, very difficult. So you're having to think outside the box on, on what you prepare and what you make. Uh and certainly colder items that you, you the in Indian restaurants, you you've never heard of cold items being served. Uh I'm sure many of you may not have had uh those things, but certainly with the with the zero percent VAT and things of that nature attributed to them Um, these items need to be present. They need to be good. They need to be up there um, so that you can make those margins. Um, But quite frankly, when we look at menus right now, I think it's the most important asset of the business to get right. Uh, If we don't get that aspect right, we're we're in, I think we're in big trouble because um, businesses on any scale will, will see that those margins now are dwindling away um, and money being put back into the businesses, restaurants I speak to across the country. Um, very difficult to maintain that unless the menu's spot on but i don't know about you guys i reckon that that, that margin between good value for money and profitability is getting smaller and smaller um, and it's trying to work out where that lies yeah totally
0: yeah uh, tom any more thoughts
4: um i mean it's as you just going back on um, I think it was, was you, Elliot, that was saying about the margins and everyone being a bit two GP obsessed. So, looking at that, I've, I've always viewed it again as a business point of view of cash margins. Sometimes, But sometimes looking at it now, that that is an easier way to look at it because you know we are paying X, it's costing Y, we sell it for Z, but we are still making X amount per person that walks through the stores. Sometimes it's easier to quantify. How many people need to walk through the door to make it work? Um, I mean, I would say we we are full on in that middle bracket. We're sort of two rosette venues in pubs, and yeah, with the the climb we've seen over numbers is, is crazy. It's um, so across across the business compared to 2019, we're 20 to 25 percent down on turnover, um, and that is. I mean, we are now. The only, the only day for us that's truly full still is Sundays. Every, every other day of the week is sucking. Um I mean, we're no locally well for our roast, so that fills us up. But um, yeah, it's, it's, you've really seen a decline. And it is those good regulars that you would have seen once, twice a week. You're now once a month, maybe. Has the yeah, spend per head changed as well? Uh, do you know what? Spend per heads, I would say, I mean, we, we have increased costs slightly in places. Um I'd say the ones that do go out, the spend per head is potentially even better than it was before. Okay. Because they're out and they're celebrating being out and they're going to get one. So, top end wine sales are still, they still happen, they're still good. Uh, Mm. My tab, spend per heads, probably have increased slightly, but footfall down.
5: And
3: just out of curiosity, Tom, how many days a week are you open at the moment?
4: We've changed to five. So, we were, I mean, our, First venue was always six days a week. Um, second venue is uh, actually coaching in, so it's a small hotel as well. That we've switched that to five days as well. So the hotel's open seven, but kitchen-wise, so it having them open even six days was just it was just getting too too tough to staff, especially with the hotel breakfast, lunch, dinner seven days a week. Um, it, it just couldn't do it. And us, personally, as owners, we were working six, seven days a week. You know, we we got young kids, we've got families. And there's that balance for us of, you know, you're pushing on. We always put our business first. And, you know, our staff, they, they are like family. We all, we all get on like a family. That's why our attention's so good. So you do put them first, but then there's that balance. We so actually, I see my kids. Don't, don't see them enough now. And, you know, the, a lot of the points that you've talked about, Chris, are, are struggling and even getting motivation mm-hmm. to the jobs. I can feel that, as an owner because I I beat myself because I'm there, I'm in there first, I'm out last because I want to make mm. everyone's life better. But I'm very conscious. That I am, dead, like I say, getting older, get more tired. I can't keep going the way I'm going. But it's um, we've seen the way the world's going and what's happening. It kind of it's a, it's
3: just a bit of a survival mode. It's interesting. I wonder whether or not there's there's it's worth you know all of us taking a look at not just the days that were profitable but the services that were profitable as well and like averaging them out over a period of time because it may be that perhaps there are you know breakfast or lunches or yeah. certain dinners at a certain time yeah. of the week that are just complete lost leaders time and time and time again yeah
4: we've run that exercise um so where we we ran that on going down to five days from six at the first pub for, um yeah breakfast we used to be open for the hotel guests and public seven days a week. But for that, you're staffing up um, front of the house. You've got someone ready to make tons of coffees. Then people don't tell you, There's someone else on the floor. You've definitely got someone full-time in the kitchen. You'd look at it, you'd even do a very busy, busy breakfast. You, you, you know, you'd look at the cash, say it's just not worth doing. So we, we are hotel guests only for breakfast, but you know, we have 13 rooms in for four, if it's five, six rooms if me or my brother are working, we'll we'll cook it and serve it. So it's just one of us in the building. Uh, Whereas it used to be two or three. And it's... um, So, yeah, but I think that, again, that's going to shift it, again, because everyone's... I even go out in parts of London now and everything's shut on a Monday and Tuesday. And, which is a right wound for us, because it's the only time we can go out. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, you you see these places, you think, if they need to shut on a Monday and a Tuesday, we're big Mm -hmm. names, good places, because of staff profitability being open that really shows where the industry's at and how hard it's getting yeah
5: we're we're doing similar like i said arcol it's an, it's a new restaurant it's only seven months old but from january onwards we're looking at um closing tuesdays and and then hopefully eventually cuz we need the afternoon tea to move to do a saturday lunch and maybe a friday lunch we found open five nights that there's always one night that lets you down yeah you know it's a, it's a 40 cover restaurant and there will be this Saturday just gone we did 34 covers um, and we did very good covers all week apart from one day where we did 12. So we're going to hopefully try and squeeze it all into the the four nights and then open for Saturday lunchtime and a slight reduced um, price and uh, you know instead of doing eight courses we'll look at five courses for example and we also introduced a five course menu Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. In some weeks it's brilliant some weeks it's it doesn't sell but it's just to try and make sure that the business is turning over and to make sure that the chefs in that area are, you know, turning over the product and, and it, it, it succeed. And, and that we've seen work really, really well. The browser, however, you know, on our other restaurant, it's seven days a week breakfast, lunch and dinner. You're doing all, all 140 your guests, all plated breakfasts. Then you've got all the light bites as well, uh, all the room services. So that's going to be a, a very difficult sort of restaurant to take over to that sort of direction we we, we can't shut any days for that so staffing right. wise for that it's been uh, it's been very very difficult
0: um, lots of really good points there um, and the final thing that I just wanted to quickly ask you about is uh, is uh, energy bills and, and billing and how you're approaching those any uh, anything that you've changed any tips for people um kind of like best best practice for those, um, I'm sure you've all seen and I think we've mentioned significant significant increase in that area. Um, so yeah, final kind of thoughts on that horrible looming prospect
5: We've uh, sorry to carry on, we've changed all our light bulbs. <laughs> so um, yeah. and we're, we're doing um, PIR, so passive infrared lighting in the back of house area and air conditioning we put eco mm-hmm. mode in the hotel. We don't. We, they used to leave the TVs on with the introduction to the Chester Grove Hotel. Now that's just turned on as they enter the room instead. So all sorts of little things like that, and it's all added up. So say so we've seen a reduction in seventeen percent over the last four weeks, which is yeah, it's, it's worth about twelve thousand pounds. us, that is a month, I should say.
0: Right, amazing. Just small things that you probably would never have even thought about.
5: You, you feel like an idiot for not doing it sooner, to be honest with you. <laughs> I feel really bad about it now. It's like, oh God.
4: <laughs> but they are the simplest, just it, it's switching to like LED light bulbs and stuff. You know, they're, mm. they're, they're long life, they, they use a lot, lot less energy. Um, motion sensors could be good, which would be similar to the infrareds that you put in. So, I say, it's even, even toilets that will be the same again. You know, our buildings are old, the wiring in an ideal world would rip it out and start again. I've got seven different fuse boxes in one pub, um, but so lights are just always on. And yes, we've, we've now gained motion sensors in co crews and stuff like that, just so that they are timed, they're on and off, as and when they're not needed. Um, you know, looking at the bills that are about to hit, um, it, I mean, there's not going to be masses we can do about it. It's I think it still stays stronger and it's negotiating, isn't it? It's still using an agent, a good agent that you trust. Um, where it feels comfortable is tie in for as long as possible. We're, we're, we're very fortunate. We tied in uh, a year ago for three years. So we, we got very lucky on electricity, but gas is coming up now. So it's um, you know, it's do all the little things. Uh, and it's like we were saying earlier about switching to induction. It's, it's maybe even for forecasting into your long-term business plans of investment back into Yeah, you know, we can't all say we'll do that this year, but you know, that could be part of the two, three five-year plan of um, profit being invested back into the company to make it more energy efficient on um, inductions, lighting, um, heat source pumps are good. Obviously, you said about the aircon. Aircon is actually much more efficient to heat than central heating is. So, after um, the summer we've just had, I'm sure a lot of people are looking at air conditioning even in pubs and other restaurants, but they're actually a much cheaper way of heating, a more efficient way of heating than using uh, built-in central heating is.
0: Rihanna I think we started this when you were talking about more efficient technology. So maybe just to come back to you. Is there any other any other points, any other tips for, for this particular part of the topic? Yeah, I think
1: it's the the length of time that dishes take to make, um, and it's actually how much time and energy is used to create that dish in the first place, which I think a lot of restaurants don't take into account because it's part of a working day. I think people are looking at it more and more now. Um, so for me specifically, um, we've got rid of the tandoori oven years ago. Um, we've got, um, we're getting rid of the of the stove. So the cook is gonna be going, we're gonna replace it uh, completely with the ivario, which we have anyway. Um, the idea is actually, if we can build things um, consistently and be able to put dishes together quicker and more efficiently, which we're able to, thanks to the rationale technology, um, then why wouldn't we make that transition? Is it a big step? Yes, it is. We're in a big crisis. So big steps are going to need to be taken um, to, to make these things work. But when we're looking at the processes of what it takes to stand in front of the stove to build, um, to create, and and gases on, we have a, a sort, sort of a gas hob, Indian style cooker, um, and it has a range of motions, low, medium, and high. <laughs> so you're working out what is it you're actually using in those times. Um, Whereas the efficient knowledge of knowing that if we're on this setting, if we're producing this much energy, we know exactly how much we're going to use. It's very hard to quantify on gas when you're trying to work out how much is coming through those pipes at any given stage. So having those conservative um, positions of of equipment, knowing what the uh, processes will be um, for um, the dishes that you're making. uh, And what are those um, cooking times? Um, What we're cooking, if it's going to take a long period of time, can we get these things done quicker? Can we manipulate settings to give us um those uh finishes that we want? We most certainly can. Um and actually, what what is this going to be? I think um Tom said it earlier, sh- as chefs, we're tired. We've got we've got so much going on, and as owner chefs, we're certainly up against it. So how can we pass these uh elements on to staff without overworking them as well? I think um, touchscreen technology for me has certainly worked in that respect uh, and being able to have it done the same every time. So if someone is of a a less experience, um, they can certainly get it right because it's a process. The machine tells you what to do. And I think this is where automation is gonna come in and really um, aid businesses in their energy because you'll have a fixed amount of time that it's on. Um, You'll have a fixed amount of of prep that is ready, uh, positioned Mm -hmm. in the same manner, uh, and it's going to make training easier um, and also overseeing the process easier. So when we're looking at energy and, and making those savings, uh, I think equipment is definitely something that's going to need to be looked at uh, overall in, in kitchens going forward.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Well, hopefully everyone watching has taken something from today, possibly my panellists as well. May have heard some things that they that they can uh, implement in their own restaurants. Um Thank you once again to all of you for, for joining me. Um, for anyone watching, if you've enjoyed this panel and you want to know more, you can sign up for a free 10-minute webinar with Rationale um, today. The link is in the comments below. Um, but uh, that is the end of, of today's panel. And thank you all very much.